to Unboxing E-Commerce. I'm James Marks, a serial entrepreneur who built and recently exited an e-commerce fulfillment service called Whiplash. I've been investigating business mysteries since I launched my first business when I was 17. I'm Jennifer Yates, a business operations leader, creator, and connector. I quickly see the landscape of a business from all Zoom levels, angles, and relationships. We use our combined expertise and curiosity to understand the process behind the package. Each episode, we order from your favorite brands and reverse engineer their operations stack. We learn what tools they're using and why, so we can run your business like the pros. Jennifer, are you ready to unbox e-commerce? I'm ready. Let's get to that box. Hey, James, how's it going? Hey, we're back. We're back. And we have a extra special episode this time. Our first episode with a guest. So there's a third person in the room with us. That's pretty exciting. Today, we're going to cover Bloomingdale's and Macy's both, which is apropos to this guest, and we'll get to that later. So without further ado, our guest is Maya Benson. And Maya, I started to do like a little write-up on you for a bio and stop cold when I realized you and I both overlapped at Pitney Bowes for a bit. So why don't you tell me what you were doing at Pitney Bowes, what you've been doing since, where your expertise resides, and then we'll get into the episode. Well, first, I just want to say thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so honored to be the first third person in the room with both of you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am giddy right now that we are finally doing this. When we first started this podcast, I was like, someday down the road, like we'll have to have Maya on because that's going to be so much fun. And it's just such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, and James, when you started to think about this podcast, I was like, you have to do this. So like I am a <laughs> deeply, deeply passionate e-commerce nerd from multiple angles, but the experience I would put at the top of the key and we wanted to do so many fun things with the Shopify Fulfillment Network around the experience. So we're going to have a ton of fun today. So anyway, thank you. I'm so excited to be here as well. Maya Benson. So Jennifer, I can't wait to get to the Pitney chapter. I'm going to do this in 30 seconds or less, but you were hanging out in a really cool, really underknown part of Pitney. And I'll tell you kind of a story there. But long story short, I'm a 20-year SaaS product and platform exec building candidly first ever SaaS products. And so architectures, sometimes of which we'd commercialize an API or two on a web service for big corporate, which meant literally first ever. So first time to hire data teams, first time to hire and install new back office ERPs to take SaaS subscriptions instead of hardware leases. So wholesale transformation type of roles. It was ridiculously fun to have built-in distribution and a pretty good salary. Everything else on the transformation side, you guys, was like climbing Everest on 140 degrees a day with all the ice just gushing in your face, right? It's literally easier to build from scratch. Okay, so... so you had distribution. I mean, that's why... It's huge. Yeah. It's huge not to be undervalued at all. Yeah. So as I said out loud, like, I have to stop being the salmon swimming upstream or the intrapreneur. I want to go do this either on my own as an entrepreneur or with a growth company that's going to let me be an internal entrepreneur with a lot of tailwinds, I got really lucky. A small Canadian company called and said, hey, 
we're pretty good at technical R&D, but new to strategy pricing, go-to-market, taking third-party tech, putting on our platform. P.S. When we launched payments, it took off overnight. We've launched shipping. It's not taking off overnight like help. I have a hunch with this little Canadian company. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) So in summary, I joined Shopify, second U.S. employee, built and scaled all things, um, the embedded Shopify shipping product, defined, built, and launched the Shopify fulfillment network. So outsourced fulfillment. And then along the way, helped incubate and launch the Shop app, which as consumers, I don't know if you use, but... um, Oh my God. I actually used it yesterday. And I was like, man, the Shop app is taking over. It's so great. It's, so, it's good. so good. So anyway, that's my in a nutshell. The quick adjacent, Jennifer, is when I joined Pitney, I got to see the company across kind of the many lanes that it had when I joined because we were driving the next generation of strategy for and then product build for multi-carry shipping. And I met some of the old map info people that you got to work with and started to learn like, no, we help the post office route parcels to like corners of buildings, right? Yes. Not just an address, but like this door on this building. And it was just like unbelievably cool data. So I'm not sure that they did probably the best job over the years unlocking that value, but oh my God, it was really cool. Yeah. I mean, they did unlock a lot of value there, but I left not too long after they sold my part of the company, which was software and data, to a software company. And I think Pitney really wanted to focus at that time in 2020, like shipping and e-com is our lifeblood. Let's offload this software piece and do something else. So yeah, that was a great intro. And it's nice to meet you. I know you and James have known each other for a little while. Yeah. But... By the way, I stopped at Shopify. The only other chapter is I oh, left yeah. operating land and now I'm an early stage investor. So B2B SaaS, early stage pre-seed seed founders listening today. I'd love to learn more about what you're building. Oh, I may have to talk to you. Like we may have to, after record, talk to you a little bit. Welcome. Okay. Yeah. Well, welcome. We're so happy to have you. I love getting to know people in this sphere. And I guess, is there anything on our minds? I think there is something on our minds that we can preamble about. James, what's on your mind? I mean, I've always got something on my mind. I did a personality assessment a while ago, and it said I was the thinker. And that I should pair myself with the adventurer because you're just going to think about it forever. So I definitely have things on my mind. I'm the adventurer. This is my thing. Is that really true? Oh, my God. Well, no, I call myself that. I haven't taken a test, but I will do anything. So, Maya, I travel a lot for pleasure. And I once told my husband, like, let's go to Sri Lanka. And his response was like, wait, isn't there a little bit of danger there? And I'm like, oh, only half. (laughs) Half. Let's go. So, yes. Well, so how appropriate that I can already predict that our episode is going to take us to India, if not Sri Lanka. Oh, yeah. This is is the twist of all twists. So this episode, I think there's probably enough here. I'm going to skip the preamble I had planned because it's all relevant. So already when Maya, we started talking about Macy's and Bloomingdale's and kind of retail tech and malls, Already, I was shocked to learn that Macy's and Bloomingdale's are the same brand. Yeah. Maybe that's common knowledge. I did not know that. I didn't either, but I can tell you a little bit about it. 
with the research side. I would love to get to it. Let's get into it. So, first of all, Maya, you're the one who chose originally Bloomingdale's for our order. And then we kind of added in Macy's after the fact. So I'm curious, why did you choose Bloomingdale's and talk us through like how it ended up being Bloomingdale's and Macy's? Great question. So I'm a busy working mom, like the other busy working moms and dads on the phone. And so like I get into a total groove with Ecom, period, hard stop. Like I got five minutes to shop. I know what I got to get and it's just got to get done. So Bloomingdale's is a hub for me. A lot of this goes back to our early experiences with retailers of fond memories and experiences that root a brand a little bit into our heart. So I have deep, deep, deep memories of really special experiences with my mom, my grandma, lunch, just having a rare girls moment, I hate to say, in a world where I have three brothers and a very, very male environment. And so anyway, I'm a Bloomingdale's loyalist. That's some context to the long-winded. I'm a Bloomingdale's loyalist. And so that's kind of where we started. The Macy's extension came because, James, I do know a lot about kind of Federated and how they've rolled up several retailers, including Bloomingdale's and Macy's. So that extension kind of came into play. And then candidly, I think the three of us were looking for an interesting unboxing experience. And so when I found that Macy's lists the drop shipper name next yeah. to the product, I immediately was like, oh, guys, do we want a cross-border experience in this? Oh, box? yeah. And we do. But oh. I will find more edges, right? Because I think as consumers, we perceive things as like, it's a web store and you click buy and like, it's probably in a warehouse somewhere, but everything is aggregated. Everything has got a secret marketplace, or in this case, public marketplace. There, there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. So Maya, you're in New York City then? I am. And guys, timeliness on the serendipity of this choice was crazy because I'm sure you guys saw the news that I think yesterday or the day before Macy's is starting to come out with layoffs. So that was unknown before the rationale for the choice. Which I got mixed feelings about that after I had my online experience and then the package arriving. But then when I looked into the tech and we'll get to the list later in the show, when I looked at the list, actually, they're doing a lot of really impressive stuff. And I want to show you some of the technologies they're using, which was completely out of sync with the experience I had. So I was curious where the layoffs were happening. And I hope it wasn't the people making some of the decisions that I saw, because there's a really interesting blend of like very good, aggressive, futuristic decisions, and also some maybe very, very bad decisions happening on the other sides of of the org. I can't wait, James, to hear your lens on the tech, <laughs> period. The news articles that I read in terms of where the cuts are coming from and some of the strategy, kind of the two main themes that I pulled out is uh, more automation and they're going to be outsourcing and offshoring some roles. Mm-hmm. So those were kind of the two buckets of rationale behind the layoffs. Both Macy's and Bloomingdale's are so rooted like in American culture that it does surprise me a little bit that they would then lean into offshore because they kind of do represent something really interesting and unique in American retail. I totally agree. Hence that opening from me on context, like I have a brand little tiny stamp on my heart because of that legacy. I also just felt like you guys 
I did a ton of business cases that drove offshoring in like the early 2000s. <laughs> just, <laughs> it, feel, it feels like this, this bus is like 20 years too late, yeah. right? And if yeah. you talk to any corporate exec these days, they've got line items in their budget for 24. That's like peeling out cost because of AI. Yeah. And guess where that cost is coming? Highly From repetitive the... job. Bingo, better yeah. outsource. I'm going to do a little bit of history. I don't know, Maya, if any of this is going to surprise you. So feel free to jump in with your own comments or even experiences as I go through it. I'm going to talk first about Bloomingdale's, then a little bit about Macy's and Federated. And then I will tell you what I learned about both of them with their online offerings, which isn't a whole lot. So Bloomingdale's is a luxury department store. It's a New York City icon, which is why I asked if you were from New York City. And it's from the quote unquote little brown bag to its iconic one city block building on 59th and Lexington. They have 71 stores in their chain and revenues just over a billion dollars. Now, 71 is light coming from a retail location background where we helped large chain retailers find their next best location. 71 isn't that many for that kind of revenue. And we'll get to a little bit of that why. So Bloomingdale's started in... 1861, two brothers. I know. Can you believe it? And 1861, Joseph and Lyman Bloomingdale opened a store called Bloomingdale's Hoop Skirt, which okay, so just was a context. So it's yeah, Hoop Skirt. Abraham Lincoln was the president at the time. That's amazing. Yes. Continue. I just. The hoop skirt name. It was a nod to the era's focus on kind of one shop, one specialty. Then they opened a second location in 1872. So 11 years later called Bloomingdale's Great East Side Bazaar. That was a departure from the one shop, one specialty. It had multiple items, multiple specialties, multiple products, and eventually became what we now know as the department store. That was the model. They moved from their original location, kind of upper, 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 until they landed where they are today I didn't understand that they had sort of invented department stores. Yeah. When we think about the bazaar and like, so that's such an interesting transition. So. Isn't I, it? I, like I, housewares. Like, yeah. Just like housewares, furniture, mm-hmm. makeup. So if you think of this, it's like one shop, one specialty, right? So it's we yes. have an expert on makeup and we know makeup really well. And then as that shifts, you're like, what if we had 10 experts and we put them all in the same place, right? You can sort mm-hmm. of see the thinking evolve and. Maya, you know the store well. How visible is that history when you're in the store? I think if you're in the main 59th Street location, it's really, really visible for Bloomingdale's. And if you're at the 34th Street location for Macy's, I think there's good history that you can feel and sense while you're there. I think at the hubs, it's there. I think to your point, like the 71 other stores... I don't know that that narrative is being told as loudly as it Mm -hmm. could. But I think what's also fascinating about the bizarre orientation and that first department store orientation is if you pause for a second, from the merchant perspective, 
that's highly inefficient and complex. From the consumer perspective, it's one-stop shop. That's right. Right? So it feels like also a really interesting consumer insight and lens where they thought, hey, Maya wants to buy an iron from me, a skirt, and maybe some soap to wash it in. And you would have had to go across town, make 10 different stops. Bingo. The interesting thing is somebody still had to go across town and make those 10 different stops. It's just that they put the burden onto the business instead of the consumer. Yeah. So Joseph retires in 1896, leaving Lyman in charge. And when he died in 1905, his two sons inherited the company. In 1930, after the stock market crashed, Bloomingdale's merged with Federated Department Stores, helping Bloomingdale's to survive, but also the collection of Federated Department Stores. And I'll get to that in a second, because it's really interesting. And then for Bloomingdale's in the 60s, it started to focus on haute couture and became an icon with fashion designers, celebrities, and society types. In 2008, they began phasing out their catalog in favor of Bloomingdale's.com, which was gaining some momentum. But that's all I could find about Bloomingdale's online. So I started to wonder the same thing we wondered about Powell's a few episodes ago. Is the in-person community experience more important than the online for Bloomingdale's. So I don't know, Maya, maybe your take on that would be helpful. I mean, Bloomingdale's was not built or scaled as a mass brand or store. They were always kind of at that higher luxury kind of market target and segment. And, you know, when you think about that, from like even like a couture lens, you're not buying that online, right? Like you have to go in, you have to try these beautiful creations on. By definition, if the average order value is higher, it's a bigger risk to take. So frequently you want to go in, touch it, feel it, smell it, whatever, taste it. I think those two dynamics from a Bloomingdale's roots really kind of drove and augmented in store experience. Also for years, I remember this more as a kid and as a teenager, their service was exceptional. Exceptional. You would have a handheld support person the minute you walked in to find whatever you needed. And by the way, whatever you needed was, oh, you need some caviar? We're going to go over here. Now you need a dress to go with that caviar? We're going to go over here. So like you really had a concierge level service and support a couple of decades ago. That's some context I can bring to the light on the Bloomingdale side. And that's specifically if we think about like, the businesses have thrived online. Obviously, we don't talk about Amazon very much because it's a bit of a dirty word to me, but it exists. It's real. They are specifically antithetical to that experience, right? It's lowest common denominator. It's mass market. And that does better online where it's like, I need a dozen ping pong balls. I don't have a lot more to say about it. And that's totally different from what you're describing. Yeah. Also remember when you're playing in that niche luxury segment, you're also bringing... Bloomingdale's was notorious. And you said this, Jennifer, for bringing new designers, new innovation forward and giving them a platform, their brand to introduce to new consumers. But a lot of those apparel runs, for example, were short. There'd be like three blouses made because it was a new designer. Let's test and learn and see if our consumer base wants this. So that lack of inventory to send across 71 stores 
write and promote was actually candidly part of their strategy. To be a bit of a research enabler. Yeah. And to draw consumers in. You know, if it's a run of three shirts, guys, it's probably not even going to show up on e-com. I see. Right? I see. And so this is the exact opposite of, you know, Urban Outfitters, where it's mass run. And then you might walk down the street and there's somebody wearing your shirt and you're like, well, I can't shop here anymore. This is soul crushing. <laughs> it brings up, uh, you know, just a meta theme too that we've all lived through. Like if you think about Shopify kind of democratizing and enabling brands and creators to come to market, you know, as friction-free as possible, in a way, Bloomingdale's could have been that for apparel and some other kind of main cosmetics and other lanes, right? Because they had the relationships with that next generation of designers. They were dying to get into Bloomingdale's because of the audience. They just didn't think of themselves as a springboard or an entrepreneur launchpad or platform. Yeah. Therefore, didn't build tools and systems right. you know, to bring them to market. And to contrast that with another sort of mall brand, I remember seeing Nordstrom's playing that very aggressively. I don't know how it did for them, but I remember they had the programs, you know, as a small startup, you could get into Nordrums and they had like a section for it. That's kind of the history of Bloomingdale's. I want to get into Macy's and Federated, which are pretty well tied together. And even though I worked in retail location and knew of Federated, I did not know this story. So what started as Federated Department Store's which is now called Macy's, it began with several family-owned department stores on the East Coast in the Midwest. Macy's was one of them, and Macy's was started as, this blew my mind also, as a dry goods store opened by Roland H. Macy's in 1858 in New York City. So uh, just a couple of years before Bloomingdale's, hoop skirts. <laughs> James is uh, just blown. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a first mover advantage, but like compared to, you know, the rest of history, there's clearly an early mover advantage. Yeah. In 1929, Federated Department Stores formed as a holding company for all of these family-owned businesses, retailers, department stores, which included Macy's and others. And then in 1930, a year later, Bloomingdale's joins. So 1929, Federated's formed. 1930, Bloomingdale's joined. In order to reinforce themselves financially from the stock market crash. In 1939, Macy's developed a pay-when-you-can credit plan, which helped them uh, kind of with their community in times of crisis reputation. Mm -hmm. Then let's skip, because then there's a bunch of other history. Macy's goes on, Federated goes on. In 1992, Federated Department Stores has 220 department stores in 26 states and annual sales of around $7 billion. Wow. That's a 92. In 96, Macy's.com is launched. And in 2007, Federated Department Stores changed its name to Macy's due to better name recognition. Well, that's played out. I've never heard of Federated. One other interjection for the Chicagoans listening to us today. In the late 80s, Federated bought Marshall Fields which is when they first popped on my 
radar. So shout out Chicagoans that used to buy the mints, the famous Marshall Fields mints. Yes. Well, and yeah. I don't know if anybody knows the history. There's a relationship between Marshall Fields and Hudson's as well, because I was from outside Detroit. Did I get that wrong? Maybe no, you got Hudson's. it right. Okay. I, no, I, Mar- think I think Marshall Fields became Hudson's or vice yes. versa. Oh, from a brand. Because there's another whole co out of Canada called Hudson's Bay that owns Saks and Hudson's Bay that's up in Canada. I thought Federated had bought Marshall Fields, but I... I think they did. And then I think Marshall, to what James said, Marshall Fields became Hudson's and then Hudson's became Macy's. I was wondering where Hudson's... Because when, Maya, you were talking about your early impressions and you know, with your family, I realized I didn't actually know this until you started telling your story. That was Hudson's for me. I don't know if Hudson's is luxury, but it's like better a little bit. It's like kind of treading that line between mass market and I'll get like a premium version or something. And there was an era where I had a lot of good memories there of family trips. And it was like going and you're talking about wanting to look and see and touch the items. There's something to that, just like being around nice things, even if you weren't going to buy it. To your point, James, memory inspiring experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't don't know where that exists today. Well, so hear me out. Gen Z is driving the savior of malls because it's considered maybe a lonely generation. And there's like so much like they grew up online. So Gen Z is 16 to 26 right now. And uh, they grew up online. They grew up you know, in some isolation. COVID had a pretty big impact on this group. Obviously, all of us. But to be in your formative years when this is happening is obviously huge. Yeah. Anyway, they're finding some sanctuary in the malls and like, you know, we're like social media, but we're going to go and like kind of shop together in person. I was shocked. Well, I'll, I'll do a, We can put a, put a link to the LA Times article, but um, the title is Gen Z leads the charge in revitalizing the mall experience. And so you can kind of see us going full circle, the birth, death and rebirth of in-person. Wow. It's pretty fascinating too, because a lot of what I've been reading is that malls are being repurposed into other types yeah. of, they, yeah. They had been. They're like a mall is turning into like office space. And what they're starting to see now is, you know, you have like a grocery store as a mall tenant, right? Things were not going well for malls. There is a hint that there is going to be a recovery. Because if you think about young people, I mean, young people are always driving mall experiences. Mm-hmm. But this generation is no exception. I thought that the use of terms like memory and nostalgia and something special in the shopping experience would be a really good segue into our online experience. And James, <laughs> you sound like you were a little miffed with it. Yeah. So we're going to have to invent the bleep for this part. I do want to have a, a PG rating. And the package that I got on my doorstep was just like, you. it's a Uline economy bubble mailer that anybody can buy from Uline and have delivered in a day. I'm guessing they got a good bulk discount. It's UPS ground. They couldn't even take the time to optimize the route. It came from Connecticut, which is like Connecticut to California is like the worst possible place to ship from. It was just like, here's your package. James, did they offer you a delivery promise? Because that's the only excuse in my book. You know, if they said it'll be there in two days and the only source they could get it out of was Connecticut, 
then maybe you and I could kind of forgive that. Yeah. I always pick the cheapest free shipping. So yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah. Got it. It was more just like the attitude that it came with. It's the Uline mailer coming out of Macy's. So just a little bit of context, I ordered from Bloomingdale's. So this is a high-end luxury brand, right? And it came out of Uline mailer? Yeah. I have the same. I ordered from Bloomingdale's and mine is the same mailer as yours. It's something I noticed. I was like, Uline? Oh, this white mailer with stickers all over it that are like, it's just... If I'm trying to be generous and I'm like, okay, what, why, what's driving this? I always want to know, like, there's a reason under this. And assuming it's not laziness or malice, is this package isn't going to get stolen off my porch because it looks like nothing. We had a box from NARS, right? Yeah. And it showed up empty because it's in NARS packaging. It looks really good. It looks like NARS lipstick. And somebody had opened it up and taken it before it got to us. And obviously that didn't happen with this one because it looks like a... Right. Also, I felt like they threw it at my house. Like the, yeah. I think it would actually fly pretty well if I'm like a delivery guy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's got a good weight to it. It's going to fly a little bit like a Frisbee. I could have chucked this from 30 feet away and... Maybe that's a feature, not a bug, but it doesn't feel like an upscale luxury experience. I can tell you that much. Yeah, mine either. I also ordered from Bloomingdale's and my notes, I had an easy shopping experience. Thanks to Maya, who sent me a link. Shopping experience went fairly well. Yeah, it was really easy. I checked out as a guest, which is really important to me to be able to do for, you know, online Yeah. But this is interesting. And Maya, you may have some insight, you may not. But I paid $8 for standard shipping three to six days. That was the promise. But it said it's free shipping for loyalists with no minimum. So maybe a loyalist not only gets free shipping, but special packaging. I don't know. I get free shipping to your point. So I'm willing to trade my data to a few retailers for those perks. And it is true. We do get free shipping. But Jennifer, I liked your point, which is I don't want to give my data to every retailer. So that guest checkout experience, they don't love it, the retailers, and we all understand why. But it is a really, really important thing to offer. Yeah. And then I paid through PayPal for same reasons. And my order was placed on a Tuesday in early January. Maya, I don't know. Should we hear from you about your shopping experience? I want to hear Maya's shopping experience. Yeah. Real quick before we switch topics. I just want to say, we talked about Maya, that you were part of the Shopify app pay and how people are, you want to check out on guests. I had a logged in experience on a merchant that I would have continued as a guest, but was logged in because they were using Shop Pay. So... Ah. Yep. Really different consumer behavior with that subtle shift in e-commerce strategy. So Massive. By the way, one comment on that, James, did you catch yesterday or the day before Shopify announced for the first time that Shop pays on a brand that will come to me as Everlane? That is not a Shopify commerce platform. They are are not running the web store. They're just offering ShopPay as standalone. That's massive. As a, I have a little bit of Shopify stock as a disclaimer. I'm pretty excited about where I see see that going. It's amazing. It's really, really amazing. So should we get into your shopping experience, Maya? Yes. And I'm having to bite my tongue right now because I have such a comment I want to make, Jennifer, on your specific first impression 
of your product. So once we get a little further down the line and you reveal the SKU and the product that you bought, I will throw on this context because what's so challenging for omni-channel sellers and brands is you know, providing a common brand experience, right? So James, for example, you had an amazing NARS first impression experience with the branded packaging and the gorgeousness. Yeah. But if you would have bought that same NARS lipstick from Bloomingdale's, it'd be in the same Uline yeah. mailer that you're looking at. So anyway, just, I find that challenge for especially retailers, a significant one in brand. Well, I was just saying, we always, because, yeah. you know, I made my career as being sort of the solution provider for the, the non-Amazon folks. And it was to provide that branded experience and really make it feel special to let the brand own the customer relationship and get the full benefit from it. And so I guess I don't even realize how much my perspective has been zeroed in on that. And as we've done the podcast and we kind of zoomed back out and realized it is not how a lot of e-commerce is done, right? Obviously, there's that's one way to do it. And it is a winning strategy to differentiate. But man, it is. There's a lot of volume happening through experiences like this one. You know, and I share that deep same orientation. So my shopping experience was biased in that the three of us had aligned on kind of maybe having an interesting delivery experience insofar as maybe it would be shipped from store, maybe it would be shipped maybe cross-border. So anyway, I had a unique lens going in as I was shopping to look for something that would bring us a lot of complexity and joy today. Oh, and so, did you hit the mark? Oh, oh my God. Did you hit the mark? I love it. I can't wait. I wanted no, it to no. ship from a store near you. And yeah. wow, that did not happen. It did not. It did not. So as I was looking with that lens, I did like what Macy's did in that they shared, again, who the drop shipper was, which enabled me to Google that drop shipper and find out where they were. So mm. I had a better lens on where the origin point would be coming my way. Yeah. They didn't help me so much with ship from store. They would help me understand if a SKU was in the store and I could do like a curbside pickup, but the ship from store wasn't apparent or transparent on the shopping experience. Yeah. And so I was, anyway, you're going at kind of high yeah. volume items that I would expect it to be in stock and store. I could never find any evidence that they would ever ship from store. Do we know that they do sometimes? They do a lot. So as a consumer of Bloomingdale's, I frequently will see the shipping label because of the geek that I am and see the origin point. I know that you are going to look at the origin point. (laughs) As the store. Who amongst us does not (laughs) scrutinize their shipping label? (laughs) I know. I know. There's probably like 3% of us in this industry that geek out on this stuff. Yeah. 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 I have a question. Especially for the listeners who may be thinking, wait a minute, James and Jennifer ordered from Bloomingdale's. Maya, how did you get to Macy's? And was it because of that lens you were looking through? That's a great question, Jennifer. How did we get to Macy's? I think my brain went, Bloomingdale's, what's another Bloomingdale's that maybe has a different data set on the product page? to maybe orient us to a cross-border thing. So I yeah. think that was the Maya brain well, connection. And, and what I saw working at the Maya brain is we picked Bloomingdale's. So I'm like, okay, Bloomingdale's.com. And you immediately are like, well, it's also Macy's. This is good. Like you were just like using them interchangeably in a way that I was like, why does she keep interchanging these? What am I missing? And I had to go do the <laughs> yeah. research to find out that, well, like, they kind of are interchangeable. I do think of them as the same. And even I was yeah. doing... Because I like to snoop around web stuff. And I found the Macy's Net where they run like their business services side. And it's the business services for Macy's and Bloomingdale's. Like they are very much interwoven operationally for some things. It's interesting, Maya, that you think of them as the same 
operationally, maybe, but experience-wise, especially in person, I do not think of those two stores as the same at all. When I say the same, it's like the federated umbrella. So that's kind of context point number one. And then to your well-said point, Jennifer, yeah, they're targeting massively different audiences. Mm -hmm. One is kind of more of the luxury audience. One is more the mass audience. Which, by the way, as the fellow OG here, that wasn't always true. Like I remember coming to Macy's, the flagship store on 34th Street in the 80s as a big special trip and going to that store. And it was steeped in history, steeped in just gorgeousness. And it was a premium brand. So that, Mm -hmm. that has also really evolved over yeah. the years. Yeah, to, to, be yeah. A mass, to be a mass brand. Yeah, to be a mass brand. Okay, so your shopping experience, we're still there, Maya. You chose Macy's and the product because you were looking for a cross-border experience. Is there anything else you want to add? I just had a feeling that accessories would bring me the best drop ship or ship, Mm -hmm. you know, ideally ship from store. So that was a thesis and a hypothesis given many years of experience in this world. And so when I found, I'll give a little spoiler, these earrings, like I said, what I did appreciate about Macy's is they told me that it was a drop shipper Mm -hmm. and that I was easily able to find them Mm -hmm. on the web Mm -hmm. and that they were based not in the United States. Let's get to that box. You guys have to see the outside of this envelope. They sent it to me. It's so fascinating. It literally says, please use before the expiration date printed on the outer packaging. Oh, whoa. And it's so disconnected from what we're about to tell you we all ordered. Yeah. I just, I've I've never. Yeah, that's a bizarre place for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I got to say the outside, we had to use the profanity sensor on, but the inside as I'm opening this thing, it's actually quite nice. I got like a little... Ziploc bag with some, I think these are samples. I got a nice Bloomingdale's logo there. I got a thank you card. That is the first time they've said thank you to me in a while. Oh, yeah. You got great. That's really nice. I like that Ziploc. That's nice. I like the Ziploc too. And it fits their like branded bag, you know, that they're known for. I also got the thank you with my little packing slip enclosed inside. Hope you're happy with your order and take a 15% off a large selection of items. And then it's got a custom code. Yes, it is. For the 15% off? For the 15% off. So the only thing I have to say, you're like, wow, take 15% off. That's great. And then I'm going to go to my phone and type in Z4QQ, capital T, capital M. (laughs) And you're like, what? It's the same printer that they used for the catalogs they offered yeah. in 2006. Yeah. Right? That's the catalog yeah. move. Do you remember that? Right? Yes. In the back of catalogs, it would say 15% off. Z, yeah. A, B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I just got to say, there should have been a QR code. Yeah. Or deliver it to me via another mechanism. Like this is like a, yeah. a nice, I do like that it should be personalized. We were working with a company for a while that was making like a personalized catalog that would upsell you in the package based on the thing that you had bought. It was very cool, but very oh. difficult to implement. This is awful though. This <laughs> It is pretty awful. What's going on behind the scenes, James? Like we'll talk about our, you know what? We didn't talk about the back end of the shopping yet. I want to make one comment. Given porch privacy is a real thing. Would it have made you guys feel better if it was just a clean white envelope that didn't say Uline 
And then you open in are having this nice branded Bloomingdale's experience. Would that have been better? Yes. 100. Mm-hmm. Okay. 100%. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think we're saying it has to say Bloomingdale's and luxury in that package. We're just saying there's this mass disconnect between a two cent bubble wrap mailer and what's yeah. turning out to be, you know, quite a nice inside experience. Yes. And you, right. you don't have to. So I get it. A giant neon orange box that says Nike on the side is going to get stolen. I understand that. But I need to think you care. And getting the cheapest mass market bubble mailer, that doesn't say I care. That means I have not thought about this at all. And I picked it because it delivers in 24 hours, which, by the way, mm-hmm. I don't love you, line, but they have built out a network that delivers reliably. James, what did you analyze oh. back there? Should we do yeah. the list? Yes. Yeah, the list. All right. So I think there's an interesting blend of timelines here. So I want to start that they're using double click. DoubleClick became Google Online Analytics in 2008 when they were acquired after, I think, 13 years. It was for $3.1 billion. So DoubleClick became sort of the... They invented like cookie tracking, basically, or at least popularized it, which has obviously run its course. And now we're seeing those being waved out. I think Google officially is not doing it that way anymore. But so DoubleClick, massive run there. They're using... Telium, which is a customer data hub that powers capabilities across the data supply chain. They build customer profiles. They stitch profiles together across different devices. And like if you're in store, you're on your phone, you're on your laptop, they're going to stitch that into what they call identity resolution. Because I've got all these different kind of ghost things that I can build into a single identity. And then they use something, I think a term we haven't used yet. They do data enrichment, which is, oh, I've got this about this customer. What else can I get? And can I backfill other yes. other well, addresses? Penny Bowes in, in our space was very into data enrichment. And the goal is to have what is called the golden record for a customer mm. so that you can know everything that you need to know about that customer in one golden record rather than cobbling together many, many pieces of that customer Golden across record. several databases. I, wanna, I, wanna, yeah. I like that term. It gives me yeah. something to strive for. I think all that's morphed into what marketers are calling or CMOs are just calling identity. Right. Yeah. Right. So like, what is James's online identity? Right. right. And that's gleaned from where has he been shopping? What has he been transacting? So that all that third-party data gets sold and rolled up. So and... I want to get on an ISO box a little bit. I think we're doing it wrong. I think like all of that's happening sort of without my consent and knowledge. And now, so because of the cookie laws, now it's like I have to declare that I know about it, which I don't. I reject those. But I watch other people do them. Most people just accept them. So now the same thing is happening, but I clicked approve. Fine, whatever. I can tell you. I'm happy to tell you what I like and what I want. And even with all of the third-party sales and data stuff, most of the results I see are irrelevant, stuff I don't want and will never want. And you've done it in a weird, shadowy way. I think you're like every other reasonable consumer. I think we're all willing to trade some data to get really relevant and personalized suggestions. I think, candidly, the core question is, who's got the incentives to own the hub for which we entrust those yeah. permissions yeah. in our core data. Funnily, James, you might know half the story, but the USPS looked at that seriously, being that hub, like in the 90s and the 2000s. Wow. Like the strategy consultants came in and said, listen, you guys could own not only the physical identity of a person, yeah. but the digital identity. So they never took that opportunity. But I think it comes down to incentives. 
by the way, does that become a federally regulated thing? I have to say, I think that would have been a big opportunity for the post office. It does sound like a massively out of scope. And also, I don't think I want the federal government to be the people who end up owning all that data. Name the company again where we... Oh, all of that. All of that was Telium. 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 So we're not going to spend that much time on all of these, I don't think. So let's see. I thought it was interesting. They're using something called BAM user. And B-A-M? Yeah, B-A-M-B. So as if we're going to say Bambi, and then we say user instead. So BAM user. And this is the number one video commerce platform making video shoppable. I don't get it. Help me. <laughs> and so it, it helps if you go to their site. They give you some examples. But let's say you're doing like a live stream and it's a influencer who's talking about a dress they just bought. BAM user will put a link to that product oh, so that you can just click it straight from the video. Okay. Now it makes sense. Maybe it would have made more sense if I was on social media. Yeah. And honestly, I'm grasping a little bit. I don't really shop this way, but obviously people do. I just, I love that. This is where we talk about like maybe the two Macy's or the two Bloomingdale's because we've got this experience. It's like a Uline mailer flung at my porch. And then we've got this people, they're making video shoppable. They're working with next generation tech. They're using services I've never seen before, but they're hustling, you know, if I have to put a word on it. The one thing I will say is you know, the subscription for BAM user, I just looked at the pricing and it starts at like 1200 bucks as a minimum threshold. So definitely not something that a small business is going to do casually. Definitely. They know that these are bigger brands because um, that's their, their lowest tier package and they go up from there. So it cuts out a lot of the mom and pop folks who would be uh, otherwise doing that kind of thing. Next on the list is Clinch. This is clinch.co and uh, Their pitch is creative automation tools to make smart ad serving AI. And so they're producing hyper-personalized ads. This is where it's like they've got some indication that you prefer ads or are more responsive to ads that have like a person holding the product. And they know that you have shown interest in a bag. And they know that you've showed interest in red. And so they're going to make an ad that's like a person holding this red Gucci bag. And that's the Mm. ad that's going to serve to you. So it's this templatized ad system to let them build like a super targeted ad just for you. In real time. In more or less real time. Yeah. And so again, this is where like they built that identity out, all that data enrichment that happened behind the scenes and then using it to the ads that are going to get served to you. Again, this is a company that's like hustling to use the latest tools to drive the experience. I think what's fascinating is like, I don't remember an ad's experience well, I don't either. We came in without ads, right? So I'm sure these are probably being served to like other content sites. Got it. Right. That are happening okay. to get us to this. So this is maybe challenges how we do the podcast, but we come in for another reason. We don't come in from like an organic source. Yeah. So I'm wrong. They actually have the ad units on Macy's.com above product pages. So you can see okay. I'm on a earrings product page and there's a Clinique ad. Right. Yes. And so that Clinique ad is targeted to, it's like built for you to take in something that you've been responsive to in the past. Bingo. There's a big discussion there, like how our data is used and privacy. What does that mean? There's also something like the reason it all exists is because looking at the internet through like something that's not filtered for you is awful. Like we have those personalizations for a reason because they make it good. What else you got? Uh, Let's do one more I see they're using Full Story, and Full Story is the fastest way to understand what's between you and more conversions. They analyze and improve the customer experience 
for web, mobile, and product analytics. I think part of the reason the way I do the research, it really leans itself towards business analytics tools that have to be in the places that I look. So I, I'm getting a bit of a biased sampling that it's like, wow, everybody's using a lot of analytics tools, but that's partially the way I'm getting my data. We love the insides of our boxes, James, you and I. What about you, Maya? So uh, context, this is a cross-border order. Again, I had a weird outer envelope experience warning me about some sort of expiration date on a product that doesn't have an expiration date. Mine is a clear package that surrounds the internal branded package. The branded package looks very nice, but my external cover has been open. I don't know if customs did that, who did that, what happened, Mm. but that's not pleasing. No. And yeah, the inside is kind of cute. It's kind of cute. It doesn't tell me anything about Macy's, no. where I bought this from. No. And candidly, it doesn't even jog a memory on the brand. So, so high here means literally nothing to me, but it's cute. Well, so, it's really cute. So you, you, I know we targeted this as a cross-border shipment, and I think we could talk about Section 321 and why the, some of these cross-border things might be cost-effective. Because it seems on the surface insane that you could buy a pair of earrings and have it shipped from a very faraway country and have that be cost-competitive. We know a little bit about why that is. Where did your earrings ship from? So they came from Bangalore, but I'm going to make one more comment. Look at how cute this is. So it says, so high. So remember I said, I don't know what so high means. Yeah. And it says, so high, you've been expecting me. Oh, oh that's very cute. cute. Very, that's... very cute. James, very. for the mother-in-laws, what is Section 321? Section 321 is a reference to the 2015... Trade Enforcement Act that went through Congress, it raised the duties threshold from $200 to $800. So what this means is you don't have to pay any customs or duties as an individual importing up to $800. This goes back to the 1930 came up a couple of times earlier in the episode because we were watching Macy's and Bloomingdale's sort of weather that storm. I've always thought that they raised it. And I was like, well, now it's even higher. We're not going to collecting all these customs duties. The $200 was set in 1930. That was 2300 US dollars. They weren't intending to pay duties on all these things. And as inflation happened over the course of, you know, 70 years, it had come out of sync. And so even though they raised it to 800, they didn't raise it to the $2,300 that would have been like the current cash value. Equivalent. Yeah. Equivalent. But also yeah. in that time, e-commerce was invented and cross-border shipping. I was just going to say, so it's like apples and oranges because the world shifted, yeah. right? To where, to your point, James, we're now getting eaches or individuals or parcel, right. you know, on map. Right. So, so, yeah. so in a way, they split the difference, right? The de minimis value changed from 200 to 800, but it didn't go all the way to 2000. It does feel like they found a bit of a sweet spot, even though based on other USPS policies that exist, what it really causes is a flood of very cheap, basically subsidized goods in America, which sucks. These USPS subsidies were invented a long, long time ago, 100 years ago, to say there's a developing country whose economy is very different than ours. We want to encourage correspondence and trade between these countries. And we were, we're going to subsidize their shipping. We'll make it cheap. We'll make it affordable in that country. And that's a great idea. Yep. yep. And then China rose to become a superpower, and now we are paying to put our own manufacturers out of business and make them not competitive. That is probably not 
what we had envisioned when we set that in motion with this idea, this spirit of collaboration 100 years ago. So I have yet another cute package within my package. So guys, that is four envelopes, <laughs> four different packages to get to my cute new yellow earrings for which I still have no indication. This is from Macy's. So, you know, we know that can be the dropship experience. Sometimes the dropship experiences are thoughtful and will customize a little bit for their strategic retail partners. That's not happening here. That is not happening. And I have a cute little jewelry box here with some what looks like nice recycled paper and some earrings. Oh, those look really oh, nice. cute. Yeah, that look really, really nice. And they look a lot like the product description page. They do. They look a little bigger than I maybe was expecting, but very, very nice unboxing experience from this point of view. Yeah, I like all your packaging. You had sent us a photo of your shipping label, and I, w- I went ahead and Googled the uh, address that it came from. So it came from a company in India called Campus Sutra. So yep. Campus Sutra is a youth brand that creates merchandise based on the slice of life of a young person in India. Very wow. specific. <laughs> They're located in Bangalore. As I say, you want to geek out on 321 fun? Yeah. So most stuff like this, these are $40 earrings. I would expect to be labeled in India and then cargoed over, aired over to the States and then inducted into Name Your Carrier for, you know, U.S. national delivery. That's not what happened here, right? These were onesied, UPSed out of Bangalore. Yeah. Flown to New York. Yeah. And then UPSed to my door. So this is a premium shipment here. Yeah that I have for my $39.99 earrings instead of what you and I would expect. Like I said, yeah. You got free shipping, right? And I got free shipping. Yeah. Absolutely. Insane. You know. Also, I have to I have to say this is why I'm so glad to have you on. I love that you're like, this is one Zed. Which for the mother-in-law yeah. test, it's not going to mean anything. I know what you mean. I'm sit- I don't know what it means. I'm sitting here going, Maya. where's the Jennifer test? Okay, Maya, will you tell us what you mean by one Zed? So all UPS tracking numbers start with a one Z. <laughs> that means oh. it's like official, it's, like first class. Yeah, that's not the term. That's such a confusing term. It's a, it's a real citizen, right? It's a real citizen. It's a real UPS shipment. Yeah. And again, you can induct, you could fly stuff over, throw a UPS label on it and induct in the state yeah. and then have UPS locally fulfill it. And that's a very common model. But that ain't what happened happened. This went on an airplane and came to my house through JFK. So they went through so much trouble. This is, if I'm Macy's, I'm so annoyed at this because I went, the world was at your fingertips to orchestrate this hugely complex thing. And it went off without a dime. And Macy's got no credit at all. (laughs) No credit at all. And, you know, a $39.90 sale to, you know, a wholesale product price where somebody paid $20 in shipping to get it to me. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to the, uh, you know, sell pickaxes to gold miners, right? Because the shipping industry and e-commerce providers, we're doing fine. The retailer, they're sort of an also trying to scrape something out of this. I mean, the wholesale price on these earrings must be so, so low, $2, let's say. Yeah. That Macy's is like, I'll take the 20 buck hit on shipping. Yeah. So it's 22 and I still am earning that nice, you know, 40, 45% margin. To do nothing but build a website. I mean, to do nothing. To just build a $10 million, $20 million website. That's it. After building 100 years of brand, like, just that's it. Obviously, right. they're doing they're doing something. 
besides originating in Bangalore, do we have the path of this package? Yeah. Maya, I, you want to share that with us? Yeah, I, lo- I looked it up. I did the onesie type in. Worldwide Express Saver was the service level, and it went from Bangalore, just says label created India, so Bangalore, to the Bronx, and then from the Bronx to my home. Our packages, James, was ours as exciting? Ours was not nearly as exciting, other than it was also onesied, to use our term. And you, you and I just got straight up UPS ground, which my only comment... No, no. Is that not Well, true? wait. I have USPS, I mean, UPS, then USPS, like we typically... Oh, you got mail innovations. Yeah, I did. Oh. I sure did. Okay, so there's a little bit of optimization. Did you come out of the 475 Nodder Drive facility? Yes. Yeah. So that's the big Macy's Bloomingdale's facility, which honestly just changed hands. I know they were talking about layoffs and restructuring. You can see the building was just sold, but it's still that. That's Something's going on there that they're reorganizing. Interesting. Sounds to me like they didn't want the risk anymore. Like maybe they hired a 3PL to operate their own facility. I guess the only thing I have to say is the minimum weight for a UPS crown package is one pound. And so this is listed as one pound. And it's like a, I don't think I ever said it. I got, do you know what I got, Maya? You got pink eyeshadow. Pink eyeshadow. I have not. <laughs> so did I. Yeah. Um, I got Clinique pink eyeshadow. Yeah. Not Chanel. Okay. But- Which this was my comment earlier, Jennifer. I've ordered stuff from Chanel.com, including $20 pink eyeshadows. And it will come in the most gorgeous black Chanel packaging. You know, on your doorstep, it's from Chanel. So, wow. you know, yeah. So like, again, it's like, if you're these retailers, the out-of-box experience that someone's having for the same product across different channels is just radically different. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because we talk about this branded Ziploc full of samples, which is gorgeous. But my eyeshadow was just loose yeah. flying around <laughs> inside the package. There was so much more attention to the samples than there was to the product yeah. itself. Yeah, honestly, if they could so, have the product in the poly bag, I would have, I would have thought that was yeah. nice. But like, oh, no, we don't. We got too many yeah. touches. So you were straight up UPS. I was UPS Mail Innovations. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the same that's, thing. It's the distance, right? You're, yeah. They, they can afford to use a worse shipping method because you're closer and farther away. The only way they felt like they could really reliably get it such a flat distance is straight up onesie mm-hmm. UPS ground. Yeah. When did your package arrive versus mine? We ordered on the 10th. I Mine arrived on the 18th. It was finally delivered. So eight full days across two weekends. Okay. And James, you li- you live probably, what, two miles from a Macy's? I don't actually know. You're probably two to five. I know where you live. You're two to five miles away from a meet. Okay. And your $20 Clinique pink eyeshadow came. Yeah. And this is a, a, what, maybe two ounces weight? Yes. And it could have come from store. It could have come in a a half the size branded mailer from store. What the? So what about mine? Since I'm being lazy and not reopening my tracking, I feel like I ordered the day before you on the 9th. And oh, you know what? I ordered the 9th. That was when it shipped. It on the 10th. We ordered it. Oh, we ordered on the 9th. It was shipped on the 10th. And mine took not as much time as yours. Maya, when did yours arrive from India? Mine was shipped... I was going to say the same thing, James. Mine left India on one twelve and was delivered to my home three miles north of the Bronx on one sixteen. 
four days. <laughs> wow. Now, now that that's 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 label creation to my front door. I ordered it on the ninth, just like you guys. Yeah. So there was a two day trigger time to label me. Yeah. And then it was delivered on the sixteenth. So now I'm curious, Jennifer, when yours arrived, because so far we got from India to New York significantly faster than we did Connecticut to California. Yeah. I ordered on the 9th. It left on the 10th. I received it on the 16th. Yeah. So what is that? Five, yeah. six so days I, after order. Yeah. So yours is pretty clean, especially for mail innovations. Mm-hmm. Let's see where it traveled. It left Cheshire, New Jersey, then went to Connecticut, then went to Ohio, then Ann Arbor. Something sounds off there. Something's going. Yes, it does sound off. Look- What's also off, you guys, is we moved this two days, our recording, because my damn order didn't come till Friday the 19th. Yeah, this is the first episode we had to reschedule because the thing didn't show. Right. Yeah, something does feel off. Yeah, why? <laughs> so I went shipment tendered to UPS Mail Innovations on the 10th in Cheshire, New Jersey. Packaged processed on the 10th in Windsor, Connecticut. Departed UPS facility in Windsor. No, but that departures because it started, it shipped out of Connecticut to begin with. So why is I it know. first scanned in New Jersey? Something's not right. Well, it's first scanned in New Jersey. Yeah, I don't get it. And then ends up in Connecticut. Then goes En route to USPS in Rossford, Ohio, then accepted into USPS sort facility in Ann Arbor, then arrives at the post office in Ann Arbor, and then out for yeah. delivery and delivered. It's just the, messed up. The second half sounds, I kind of get it. First half, something yeah. feels very weird there. Something's wonky bonky. All right. That's our, I think that's our episode today. E-commerce, it's weird. Logistics. It's weird. It's weird. (laughs) It's weird. Yay. Well, thank you both for a wonderful episode. And Maya, thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure. My pleasure. So great to hang with you guys. We'll do it anytime. Thank you for doing this. The retailers and merchants will just absolutely benefit from the deep insights you guys are unlocking. So thank you, you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. James's latest company is called Trivial. They are building a data platform for online businesses to quickly see the metrics that make a difference. And Jennifer's business, Roo, that's R-O-U-X, provides the operating structure for growing businesses so they can move from fires to flow. If you have an unboxing experience you'd like us to evaluate, you can find us on LinkedIn. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Unboxing E-Commerce wherever you get your podcasts. Bye-bye.